Well, people, believe it or not, we've come to number 10 <laughs> of the 10 points of what is a happy person. Uh, point number 10 started out, well, actually, it ends with the, the same profundity as the first point. You'll remember that the first point is that a happy person is not unhappy. <laughs> the tenth point is a happy person is happy. <laughs> See, what's the quote from the Course? Simplicity is very difficult for a twisted mind to understand. <laughs> so a happy person in terms of the Course is a happy learner. And that's really a hard one to learn. We're so used to learning in every way except in a happy way, in a tense way, in a prolonged way, in a complicated way, in a way that confuses us, in a way that judges other people, in a way that sets us apart, in a way that makes us feel hopeless, anything but a happy way. We are willing to give up everything except our misery. And I would like for you to say that with me. I am willing to give up everything except my misery. Now, you don't have to yeah. <laughs> She didn't say it. <laughs> See, you're not willing to give it up. <laughs> I am willing to give up everything except my misery. And I'm innocent. <laughs> so that's what I thought we'd talk about today is that it's all right to be happy you can be happy actually doing anything even learning even walking home to God you can still be happy that was put to the test uh, this past week for me uh, when John and I found a dead bird outside the uh, swimming pool where we swim. Uh, and as I've told you before, and those of you who have five-year-olds know, that there is no more glorious sight on the face of this earth to a five-year-old than something dead. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> he said, let's take this home to mommy. <laughs> so we had to find a little thing to put it in and so forth. I thought that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. When we got home, it had occurred to John that it would be great fun to see what was inside the bird. <laughs> he told this to Mommy, and Mommy said he was sure that Daddy would be happy, more than happy, for me to show him what was inside the bird. <clears throat> so I did a quick meditation over that one. Uh, and indeed we did. We went into the bathrooms, uh, put the little bird in the sink, and uh, we looked at every conceivable part of, of the, uh, the little bird. And um, John was very, very interested. I had to name the parts. Did most of you, like me, have to open up frogs in biology, you know, and so forth? So I made some good guesses, just like I did. <laughs> just like I would on the biology test, you know. <laughs> So I thought that was the end of that. But no, uh, we, had to, <laughs> we had to run an errand at uh, 
the Vargas Mall. And we live on Tano Road and come in from the north, go to the Vargas Mall, got in the car, started back. He said, Daddy, would it be all right if we stopped and dug up a soldier and saw what was inside? <laughs> <laughs> It took me a good five minutes to explain why. You could open up a bird, but you can't dig up as holes. You can't do that. <laughs> so it is possible to be happy doing anything. <laughs> no, I did not dig up the soldier. <laughs> but notice that we are not, maybe some of you felt we were very happy uh, at the uh, start of the service. Uh, we were singing the songs and everything. Maybe some of you felt that, that old familiar tinge of guilt uh, about being happy. Possibly you didn't. It was You knew it was going to end. <laughs> Just a few more bars. Uh, <laughs> so possibly. But often if we get happy during the week, we don't know when it's going to end. And that old guilt comes in. Somehow we're not supposed to be happy. Or things are going too well. You know that feeling? Things are going too well. And suddenly we feel that we don't deserve this. This isn't, this isn't right. And the old fear comes in. Our fear of happiness itself comes in. We are actually afraid of being happy. And this is true, and it's much more deeply rooted than many of us realize. We believe that in a world that is as dangerous as this world obviously is, that we must be on our guard. We must be always on our guard. And if we are happy, we think our guard is down. Isn't that true? If we are not worrying, if we are not think of, thinking of every conceivable disaster that could occur to us in the next five minutes, then our guard is down because somehow the worry, the foreseeing of consequences, the naming of all the possibilities over and over in our mind, the cataloging of all the things that we have to do, the assuring ourselves that we will never get them done, we think that this somehow is keeping our guard up and, and, and that in a world this dangerous, this is very possible. We have not questioned that premise. Which protects us more, being happy now or worrying now? And of course, the news media and all the parts of it, the magazines and the news breaks on the radio and the evening news and the specials and news specials the newspapers and on and on and on the conversations the grapevine news media that we carry on between ourselves this constant outpouring of information leads us to think after a while after listening to it day after day after day, after reading about it day after day after day, that disaster and tragedy and sadness and loss is normal 
And therefore, if we are not experiencing that at the moment, there is something wrong with us. There's something that's not right, that this is the way it is supposed to, do, uh, to be. And of course, in the world, it is the way it is often, but it isn't nonstop, and it isn't natural, and it isn't everyone's inheritance. And for a person who decides to live in peace, to act gently, then this kind of thing does quietly begin to pass out of the individual's life to some degree. It is not possible to live in a world of accident and never have an accident. It is not possible to live in a world of sickness and never be sick. It is not possible to live in a world of arguments and bickering and disagreements and never find ourselves caught up. There is, of course, a very brief time before we decide to lay aside the world in which this will be true, in which you will no longer have accidents or be sick. But this is a very, very brief little period. It is not something that it is reasonable to expect as a goal. And people who who make somehow living in a way that no other mortal can live cause a great deal of unhappiness for themselves because they're constantly trying to figure out why. Why did they have the little accident? Why did they stub their toe? Why did they come down with the big disease or the little disease? And of course they can't figure it out. It's just that it's a world of illness and so forth. And of course, as long as we believe that there is great value in the world, then we must partake of the nature of the world. But to single out nothing but tragedy and to read about it and talk about it and listen to it and fill our minds with it and go over and over and hear endless analysis of it and see who's wrong with it and fight the people who are causing it, so we think does engender this feeling of if we're not if we don't have this continuous tragedy this continuous loss this sorrow in our lives that that there's something that's not right and peace is right and gentleness is right and it is even possible to be sick in peace it is truly possible to even die in peace. It is even possible to argue in peace. It's possible to not be able to sleep at night in peace. It's possible to eat someone else's food who does not have your or my list of uh, sacred ingredients are horrible ingredients, that they don't have quite the same list. It is possible to eat the food in peace, accept the gesture, receive the love, bless the food, and see that something that's given to us in love could not possibly hurt us. So let's look for just a moment at the nature of the world itself because there is a very deep argument within all of us, 
that the nature of the world itself is a sufficient reason to not be happy. Or if you don't want to split the infinitive, not to be happy. That it's a sufficient reason. We really do believe this. And so let's look at a moment for, at the nature of the world. And let's see, is it a sufficient reason not to be happy? It is the nature of the world that if you desire it, it's not good for you. And if you pursue it, it will hurt you. Is that not true? Is it not true that the most delicious foods are the ones that are worse for you? Is it not true? Well, I heard a definition uh, just recently of, um, of an allergy. An allergy is anything that you crave. <laughs> if you crave it, you can be sure you have an allergy to it. If you're sick, have you noticed you want, you want to eat the very things that would be worse, the worst for your recovery? The very things that we think that we must pursue, it doesn't matter whether they're great big things like wealth or recognition or eminence or influence or power or if it's just the little things, the strong pleasures, the delicious gossip that we wish to pursue or the foods. It is the nature of the world that if you want it, it's not good for you and that if you pursue it, it will hurt you. That's simply the nature of the world. And we can look around and see all the things that people pursue in the world and their measure is some degree of grief to the degree that they pursue it. And yet, who can help desiring and who can help pursuing? That seems to be the bind that we're in. We can't help desiring and we can't help pursuing and yet it hurts us. The very things that we are told over and over and over are the great delicacies of this earth. Whether it's the pursuit of other bodies or it's the pursuit of looking better than anyone else or sounding better than anyone else. It hurts us. It causes distance. And yet we think we cannot help desiring it and we cannot help pursuing it. Ah, but what about hard work? What about simply working hard? It is the nature of the world that the fruits of your labor will be taken from you. That is the nature of the world. For generation after generation, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, for life after life after life, the story is told and retold of eventual loss and weakness and loneliness and death. It is all taken away from you, no matter how hard you've worked. And do you personally, truly expect to escape that end? Do you really ex expect to escape it? That is the nature of the world. Is it a sufficient reason for you not to be happy? Is it a sufficient reason for you not to know the love of your father? Is it? 
And what else of the world? What are the, what are the years that lead up to the way it ends? Those years that were supposed to make it all worthwhile. Somehow they were to salvage the way it ends. What of the years that lead up to it? There are, of course, people who have not yet experienced the nature of the world. And they do not yet see this. But even little children on the playground very quickly learn that someone can be your best friend today and tomorrow they will only play with someone else. And the child is very confused. I can remember when this began happening to John. He did not understand it. How could so-and-so be my best friend? And now they won't even talk to me. There's this other person they want to play with. So it starts very early. The lesson begins very early. And then we know about the age-old story of children coming into the world wanting to be with their parents. And we as parents turn from our children in a thousand ways. In a thousand ways we turn from our children. We cannot be bothered. We cannot spend the time. If we spend the time, we must be doing something else while we're spending it. We cannot spend pure, good, whole, consistent, happy time in which we just devote ourselves to the child for an hour. This is very difficult for most adults to do, just to spend an hour doing nothing but playing with the child. Ah, they can do something while they're doing something else. Maybe get the child to join in on it. And so along comes adolescence. And is it any, any surprise that the child then abandons the parent? Is this, any, is this any wonder that this happens? The age-old story. The age-old story is that something has to die in order for you to live. That everything lives off of the death of everything else. The age-old story is someone must fail in order for you to succeed in the world. Now, you may wonder, what am I doing? This is supposed to be a talk on happiness. <laughs> happiness is easy. It is giving up unhappiness that's hard. And unhappiness must be looked at. We have got to see where it is. We cannot pretend that that which is unhappy is happy and not expect to be endlessly confused day after day, week after week, year after year, relationship after relationship, child after child. It doesn't quite work because we are looking at unhappiness and somehow expecting it to be happy. The satisfaction of revenge. Revenge is not happy. And yet people think that it will be satisfying, but it's not the satisfaction of telling someone off. There is no satisfaction in telling someone off. The satisfaction of turning away from everybody and having our own space. This does not mean that we, uh, we all must live in communes or we must invite everyone to spend the night or any of these silly things. 
but it's considered a great, one of the great pleasures to want to get away from people and have our own space. Getting away from people in and of itself is not happy. There is no happiness in it. Having more than other people is not happy. Evoking envy in other people is not happy. And yet how many of us pursue this in one way or the other? This does not mean that we should somehow calculate the amount of money that the average person in the world has and either uh, give the rest of it away. This doesn't mean any of these silly things that people get caught up in. Somehow everyone must be dressed in exactly the same color clothes and march in the same step. This is not equality. What does this have to do with the oneness and the allness and the perfection of God? It has nothing to do with it. But it's simply true that to seek these things that will make us happy do not make us happy. And so we must see where the unhappiness lies. A Course in Miracles points out that you made this world and you think it's going to work. <laughs> it hasn't worked yet, people, but somehow it's going to work. Does this mean we hate the world? No, we don't hate the world. We look at it. It's pure slapstick. That's all it is. There's nothing to get upset about it. Pat it gently on the rump. That's all you do. It's fine. It's just, it's fine. But it's not going to make us happy. We cannot slice off some piece of it and pursue it and make, a, make ourselves happy. We can't take some part of it and give it to another and make them happy. It simply isn't going to work that way. There is a question we must ask ourselves. Is it possible I made this world and is it possible I am still desperately clinging to the hope that somehow I can make it all work? Somehow things will not wear out. Somehow there will not be shoddy workmanship. Somehow people will not be late. Somehow cars won't break down. Somehow goods won't be overpriced. Somehow dishwashers won't have to be repaired. Somehow refrigerators won't make too much noise. Somehow dogs won't bark at the same thing. Somehow little children won't get sick. Somehow couples won't break up. Somehow nations won't declare war against nations. Somehow people won't starve. Do you really believe that's a possibility? And if it's not a possibility, then walk through the world gently, sweetly, kindly. Be a warm light. Be a comfort. Don't fight a useless battle. Help wake your brothers and sisters to heaven to the presence of God, to the glory that's your inheritance. We are indeed one. We are indeed blessed. Our bounty is without limit. Our happiness knows no bounds. But as long as we look to this earth without kindness, with longing, it cannot bless us. 
But look at this earth kindly and gently and you will begin to see the real world. You will begin begin to see the blessing that God has put in place of this long dream of disaster that we have been following and pursuing and tampering with. So do not be afraid to look at your unhappiness. Turn and look at it. What just happened? What were you seeking? If you were unhappy, you were not seeking your father. You were not seeking gentleness and peace. It's that simple. But you must see what form of fear or attack or judgment you were seeking just then, just that second when the depression came, the little sense of depression, the little sense of loss, of failure, of sinking, the sinking feeling. What happened? Don't be afraid to stop and look at it. And so along with the nature of the world, there are the present crises of the world. Are the present crises of the world sufficient reason for you not to be happy? This is a very, very important question. Look how many people think they cannot know peace because of the current problems of the world. There are too many to list. I've made a very small list. Pollution, discrimination, the torture that's going on in many company, uh, many countries that their organizations trying to stop. Trying to companies, right, too. <laughs> the increase of violent crime. Every imaginable new disease coming along. There's terrorism. There's endangered species. Oh, this is not a major crisis of the world. I was just in thinking about problems that, and making this list. Uh, this is the uh, how your minister's mind works, people. <laughs> Do any of you remember? I remember as a small boy being suddenly the uh, person that uh, was going to help us clean up our house didn't show up. There's all, there were always people that weren't showing up, and I can remember the great reason that was given to me as a child, female problems. I had no idea what female problems were, you know. I thought maybe the person was being strangled to death by their their merry widow. (laughs) In my childhood, people actually wore merry widows. (laughs) And they're always getting them too tight, you see. (laughs) Uh, That's that's a side. This is called an aside. Manny says... When the, when the uh, people begin feeling a little down, when you see the chins droop, make an aside. <laughs> Why do chins droop? Because we think the world is real, and if, it's, and if what I'm saying is even half true, this is very sad. If the world's real and this is all we've got, it's not all we've got. That's the point. This is not the only place that we need look, but it's the place we've always looked. And then the even bigger problems, perhaps. The nuclear problem, nuclear accidents, nuclear proliferation. The starvation problem. The war problem. 
geological catastrophe problem, impending geological catastrophes. Is all of this a sufficient reason for you not to be happy, not to know God, not to walk home to your father? I can tell you people that there is a very, very strong calling that you must participate in the misery. You cannot be happy. You cannot be peaceful. You cannot. It is a shame. It is a crime for you to meditate. You must enter into all of this or else you are abandoning your brothers and sisters. This is a question you must ask in your heart. Are you abandoning your brothers and sisters if you decide to be happy rather than right? That's the question. To be peaceful rather than angry and shocked. This is a question we must ask because there is a very great call to all of this. Somehow we can't be compassionate unless first we are sad. We really believe this. We must get real sad and then we can be compassionate. And see, we don't even look like what, what our attitude should be. There's all this stuff. There's all this injustice. There's a lot of angry speeches being made now. Have you noticed? A lot of angry speeches being made now. Do you really think you can sit there and listen to an angry speech and not get caught up in it to some degree? Do you really think that you can listen to it and not go out and think that the world is real and your father is so far off that you might as well forget about that? There is this cause to take up. There are these people to denounce. There is this opinion. We went out uh, to dinner last night with a wonderful, uh, lovely couple just really sweet people. And when we got home, we realized that we had made a mistake that we've made so often. We started defining ourselves during the course of the dinner. Very subtly, we had slipped into this. Opinions that we had forgotten about long ago came up, and we were giving our sacred opinions once again. We were even saying things we didn't even believe anymore. <laughs> and then we wondered why after the dinner there was this little feeling of letdown. We had forgotten who we were. It seems so important to have opinions, to have knowledge on certain subjects, to go over something. <laughs> and the whole point, of course, when we get together with other people is that everybody goes over the same thing. <laughs> That's true friendship. <laughs> All right. Now, we've got many little sayings in, at the dispensable church. Some of them we haven't used here for a while. Pippa, does any of you remember that? Pause in peace. Act with assurance. And then the one that one of our deacons coined, follow your pee-pee. Follow your peaceful preference. <laughs> so what do you do? You don't have to make a perfect decision. You don't have to make a grand decision. Oh, incidentally, how to make a decision. Someone put my initials at the bottom of the little uh, page back there on how to make a decision. So uh, having no pride in writing at all, 
I immediately said, if this is going to have my initials on it, we're going to have to do a better job than that. So there's now a new, more literary version. The points are numbered. The margins are straight. <laughs> but um, the words are spelled correctly. Uh, so follow your pee-pee simply means that there's another way to make decisions. There's a path of peace upon which you can walk and you follow it. This preference, this, this gentle preference, this gentle leaning. Did you know it is not necessary to make a decision ever? This is pure ego activity. It is never necessary to decide anything, but it's necessary to put something in its place or else you'll be hopelessly confused. And what, what you want to put in its place is this, this path of peace that lies before you every day. Not perfection of events, but a path of peace, how to decide each thing in peace. Not perfectly, not so it'll turn out the way your ego wants it to, but gently, a preference. Not knowing what's right, a preference. And so we have that little saying. We have the saying, the peace of God is more important than diarrhea. This is difficult to make into a poster. <laughs> it, there's a real question as to the graphics that should be used in such a poster. And there are people who have not attended this church and they would have no idea what we're talking about. All we're talking about is we are willing to do anything if we have diarrhea. We will call for the car to be stopped. We'll pull, we will uh, interrupt the telephone conversation. We'll stop our uh, shopping. Uh, we'll, what? Anything. You name it. We won't answer the front door. And yet, how little, little we're willing to do if we realize that we've lost our peace. That the world has become real to us again. Become more important. If the concept of the world being real and unreal and all that kind of stuff is confusing, if it causes some sort of question in your mind, if it starts some sort of silly philosophical discussion in your mind, just think of important and unimportant. What have I made important? And if you're not feeling particularly well, you've simply made something in the world important and you have made your father's love for you unimportant. But what are you willing to do about that thing? Because there's no doubt we recognize it. A thousand times a day we recognize it, but we barge right ahead. We do not stop. But for diarrhea, we'll stop. So the peace of God is more important than diarrhea. That's one of our little sayings. <laughs> It will not go down in history, people. <laughs> now, the other one, and the point of this tenth one is, nothing has to go right today because all I want is the peace of God. Nothing has to go right today because all I want is the peace of God. Would you say that with me? Nothing has to go right today because all I want is the peace of God. That's how simple it can be. 
if we think that something, anything, the smallest thing has to go right today, it spreads. This making of the wrong thing important spreads all over the world instantly. But we think we can single out one little thing in the world, make it important, and we can confine the spread, the spill, the stain. It can't be done. It's like ketchup. It just goes all over the plate. But if all we want is the peace of God, what difference does it make whether the car has a flat tire or we're late are we are the things not on sale? Are so and so just said such and such about us? Or anything else? What possible difference does it make? If all we want is the peace of God, we bless. We bless the world. We bless the tire. The little tire. It's innocent. <laughs> the little shock absorber, whatever it may be. The little dent. We bless the little dent. I have a friend who got a substantial dent in his new car, and he looked at it and he said, well, in Detroit, they're simply going to put the dents in a different place next year. I'll just call this a style change. <laughs> <laughs> and he drives it that way to this day. <laughs> okay, let's close our eyes together. We've been talking about something very simple today, and that is that there's a way to be happy. There is a source of happiness. It does not depend on the source we've been looking to or the hundred sources we've been looking to. There is a source. It is available. And it's available to us now. And so with your eyes closed, let all the other desires, all the other wantings, all the other railings, denouncings, judgments, all the other importances slip from you, slip away from you. The gunny sack of problems on your back, let it fall from you. Feel it slip away now. Because you know in your heart that what we've been talking about today is true. None of this makes any difference. Bless it all. And let it go. And now when you feel completely empty and free, empty of all these concerns, all these wantings, all these Opinions about how things must be, how they must be changed, which has been going on for thousands of years. When you feel free of it and light and empty, then turn to your Father and ask Him, Do you still love me? Christ, Christ, Christ. Do you still love me? And feel the answer.
Feel it pour into every part of you. Feel it pour into every memory of your life. Feel it pour into every relationship, into your job. Feel it pour into your future, into your destiny. Feel it pour into your home homecoming. Feel it pour all over you. Feel it pour all over the people next to you. My Father, do you still love me? And feel the answer. There is no other answer. Okay, my friends, we're going to make it. We're going to join hands. We're going to be a family. We're going to make it. I don't mean that you have to join hands now. But spiritually, we're going to join hands. We're going to make it. It's so simple. It is so simple that even we will make it.